Ideas have consequences, and consequences have ideas. If we don't learn how to think carefully, we will never be able to live rightly. So welcome to Think Through It, a podcast for conversation among friends encouraging one another to think through it. Well, welcome to another episode of Think Through It. Um, I am really excited about today's episode. Uh, we're joined by our old friend, Will Kynes, the great Will Kynes, uh, and Michael Kruger, uh, Dr. Michael Kruger, who was here a couple months ago uh, teaching us about the Word of God and just the uh, the our, the reliability of the canon of mm-hmm. Scripture. And so, Dr. Kruger, I just I want to thank you again for the investment you made to the members of Christ's Covenant. And uh, for those of you that maybe don't go to our church, uh, those recordings are going to be available online. Uh, I would just strongly encourage you to check it out. So, Will, Mike, welcome uh, to Think Through It. So glad to be having this conversation. Well, thanks, guys. Great to be with both of you. And, Jason, it was a fun time in Atlanta. Great, great, sweet church there. Really enjoyed it. And, Will, it's great to see you again, man, from our Tyndall House days. I know. Uh, it has been a long time. A while, so great to connect. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, the conversation we're having today is not on the canon of Scripture, and it's not on Tyndall House. It's 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 on it's on leadership, and and really the role that all three of us, to some degree or another, um, obviously, Will is a professor working in an institution, Mike in the same way, but also as the president of that institution, and then of course me as a senior pastor, we have given been given this charge of leadership. Um, and it, it seems to be, we live in an age where leadership, it's always been challenging. It's always been hard, but for various reasons, it's getting harder and harder and harder. And, and one of, and I want to talk about that in the episode, but one of the things that's made it so hard is so many of the knucklehead leaders out there that have fallen into one form of sin or another that has reflected poorly on every other leader, you know, and, and, and there is, I think that we live in an age of, suspicion toward leaders. Um, Mike, you recently wrote a book, and I want to talk about that book, Bully Pulpit. I think it's an incredibly important book, uh, really calling out, uh, giving voice to the issue of spiritual abuse um, in in Christian circles, in, of course, among Christian pastors and leaders. Um, so I'd love for you to just talk about the book. Why'd you write the book? And then give us what it is spiritual abuse. Help us to help us to understand kind of what the, what is this problem that you're addressing? Yeah. Thanks, Jason. Yeah. Well, let me begin by just agreeing that it's a really hard time to be a leader, mm-hmm. uh, man. And you know, it's, it's true. As you noted, it's, it's never easy to be a leader, but there's also easier times. This isn't one of them. Uh, and, and I realized that, uh, and you know, one of my goals in the book was, to try to address uh, a way hopefully we can improve mm-hmm. uh, as a church and be more like Christ as a church by dealing with at least one of many issues one could write a book about. Uh, one of the most common questions I get is sort of what you hinted at here at the beginning, which is why am I writing a book on spiritual abuse? <laughs> Everybody's like, aren't you into text and canon stuff? What in the world? Uh, and, uh, and and that's, that's true. Uh, and I'm actually working on a different book right now that's taking me back into text canon issues. But this little hiatus for me is born out of my role, as you noted, as a seminary president. And I've just grown more and more concerned over the last five years or so about whether we as Christian leaders have a model of authority that looks more like the world's mm-hmm. model than the biblical model. Yeah. And I want to make sure that when we talk about church authority, that we affirm that it's real. We do have it. Churches have it. Leaders should 
be leaders and people should submit to their leaders. But I also think it's true that when we hear the word authority and leader, we tend to impose upon the text our own idea of what that must mean. Yeah, and I right. would suggest to you that that's not always been healthy. And so spiritual abuse, quick definition is when you wield that authority in a way that's authoritarian, heavy handed and domineering. And there's a lot of passages in scripture that say, don't do that. And I want to make sure that the church takes that seriously. Well, I think that's a, I mean, just the, the moment that has been created, it, it does seem like even, you know, when I was growing up in church, even in my, I would say childhood to adulthood, the role of a pastor went more from, uh, you know, a pastor shepherd guy that cared for souls. Um, and, and people would talk about the pastor maybe in that way. Um, not to say that spiritual abuse wasn't happening in that era. I'm thinking early eighties, but you know, through the nineties, I mean, it, it became more of a corporate, it became in, you know, people like Bill Hybels. I mean, there's a lot of voices that kind of created some of this. Um, you know, the pastor is really the CEO of the organization. The pastor could have been a CEO of a, you know, number of corporations, but of course chose ministry. And so it became kind of this. And again, I don't think anybody was saying, let's, you know, impose a worldly model, but it, worldliness crept in, if you will, to spiritual leadership. Yeah. Uh, and I do, and I do think now is this moment where, People are asking the question, whoa, 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 maybe that wasn't a good idea. And and one of the byproducts of that, as, as I think you're pointing out here, is it, it just seems to be, and I don't know if, I'd, I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, is there more spiritual abuse now than there has been? But it, 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 we're at least hearing more about it um, than, we, than we have in the past. Yeah, one of the things I bring up in the book is that, uh, you know, the, the question of whether it's worse now than it was before, we just don't know. Um, I don't think there's any hard statistics on spiritual abuse, and there's no way to know whether it's more common now or whether we just hear about it more. Um, and certainly we can make the case that with the presence of social media, you hear about a lot of things more that you wouldn't know. So it's right. certainly a toss-up whether it's worse than it was. But if I go on my, my anecdotal evidence and I go with my gut as a Christian leader, and that's all I can do in this case, is say I do think there's something going on. Mm. And I do think there's an increase in, in cases. And I think it does actually still have to do with the things you laid out and the rise of social media and the way leadership has been shaped and changed by social media. So now the leader of the church is not really conceived of as a shepherd. He's really conceived of as, as sort of uh, the, the guy on the center stage all the time, delivering the big message and being the, the, the front face. So it is more like a CEO. It is more like a head football coach. It is more like many things that we think of and we think of leaders. And we can learn things from lots of leaders. We can learn things from CEOs. We can learn things from head football coaches. But the idea that a leader is the kind of guy that can just hire and fire and, and create his own staff and be the front face of everything and throw his headphones when he's mad like a coach might. And, and this is our model leader. And I think sometimes we just sort of think that's what it means to lead. And yeah. that's what we put into the church. So I think there's some, some ways we need to rethink that. I mean, that type of leadership, that approach to leadership, what is it missing in terms of the biblical guardrails for how leadership in the church should be approached? Yeah, so I think when you, first thing that we need to do is, is, is any theologians and Christians is ask not so much to, what do I have in my head when I hear the word leader or authority, but what is the Bible's version of that? And I think we have some great text to go by here because when the disciples started following Jesus and the gospels, we know that they had a vision in their head what authority meant. If we know anything about the way authority worked in the ancient world, if you have Herod as an example, there's probably not a lot of good examples around. Um, and, you know, I think of the story in, in uh, I think it's Luke 9, where 
the Samaritan village disrespected Jesus. And James and John are like, well, we'll call down thunder from heaven on them. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and Jesus is like, whoa. And it, the text tells us he rebuked them. And you see right there that they had an idea what it meant to deal with people. And Jesus has a very different one. Um, I think we've got to start with those passages and really uh, think hard and heavy about them. Well, you know, Herod's actually a really good kind of template if you want to think through this, because, you know, what Herod did obviously wasn't what God had in mind for the leader of his people, but it was pragmatically very successful, you know, in, in a sense. It, 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 he got a lot of buildings built. He got a, a lot of wealth and riches accumulated. Um, he got the people in good with the Roman world. So I, I think that's actually a very good um, kind of prototype from, from the Bible about kind of what we're talking about, you know, because I think when you hear, well, the pastor is CEO, it, it, it's always this pragmatic look. I mean, you know, I don't want, I don't have time to shepherd or, you know, I don't have time to do all this because I need to be focused. And pragmatically, some of those things might make sense, but they're indefensible in terms of what the Bible actually lays out for the role of pastor shepherd, um, leader of a flock, leader of a Christian institution. And so I think that yeah, I think we can see how this has actually happened before, you know, the big CEO movement. It, it, it's, it, it happened. The, the Romans, the, the Christians were saying, we should be more like the Romans. You know, the, <laughs> oh, totally. The, 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 In the, fact, Jesus said that exact thing when he said that, that the leaders of the Gentiles lorded over them. Mm-hmm. Kind of carry right, you yeah. out, right? The very word that Peter picks up later in 1 Peter 5 and says, don't domineer, same word, your flocks. So it's clear that in the, in the Gentile world of leadership, that's the way it worked. That's how you led. And and you could argue that the fallen human heart always inclines itself towards that type of leadership unless it's corrected and pulled back by the gospel. And so we what might be useful when we do seminary training and we train people is just to sort of almost have the default assumption that because we're broken, fallen people, we probably need to recalibrate the way we think about leadership from the get-go. Mm-hmm. We yes. probably need to build it from the ground up. Why do we assume that when someone says, I, I feel like I'm a leader, that you even know what you're saying when you say the word? Yeah. I don't even know if we know what we mean. Um, and so I, I, I look, I look at myself here in terms of a seminary leader, our curriculum needs more, more work on this. And I think many of us need more work on this. So, well, this, I think even makes the conversation that we're having right now, even more interesting to me. Okay. Because not only is there an issue of spiritual abuse, the world kind of has created a environment or a fabric, if you will, uh, that where there's almost an expected not necessarily spiritual abuse, but an expected domineering leadership from the person in charge. And of course, oh, that I think grow- people want that in a weird way. Hmm. And, yeah. and, you know, I, I use the example in my book of the of the of Israel clamoring for a king like all the other nations. Mm-hmm. Right? right. And God yeah. said, mm, you may not that may not be what you think you want <laughs> because he's going to end up domineering you. Right. And Israel's like, yeah, we're fine. Don't worry about it. And I, I think there's a sense in which we need to recognize that these abusive leaders today aren't there because they've they've worked, you know, whittled their way to the top although some might be, they're there because we've invited them in. Mm-hmm. And I think there's a corollary question here about church culture. So there's there's a, there's a celebrity pastor problem. There's also a celebrity church culture problem that wants celebrity pastors. They want and I a think celebrity we, pastor. we've got to reckon with that too. And so it's not just the person, it's the system around the person that enables it and promotes it. And so this is why I wrote the book, at least so people can start thinking about that. Well, and we deal with that, you know, you know, some persons start seeing themselves as a particular uh, of a particular brand that's usually centered around one leader. And some of these guys, I mean, some of these leaders, guys that I know, I mean, and they're, they're good guys, but when we'll say, ah, you know, we're not, 
our church is not like that, or we don't really see that, or that's not something that we're going to value. They actually trust the bigger brand more than they do the actual shepherd pastor that's like praying for them, discipling them, trying to discipline them. And so this is, it's a big problem. I mean, obviously, especially among young, impressionable people, which, you know, we have a lot of here at Christ Covenant. And, um, you know, I have, we've all, I guess, to some degree, been that same person when when we we, we understand that I understand, at least I can speak for me, I understand that impulse to kind of want to get in with somebody that you admire, respect, and and follow them. And that that creates this environment for spiritual abuse. Um, I, I am grateful for your book, though. I'm grateful for podcasts like The Rise and Fall of Mars Hill, where some of this, and some of this is obviously, you know, well-known, but it's it's been brought to the, like, again, the Driscoll case, pretty much everybody in reformed evangelicalism kind of knew about that kind of, but the rise and fall of Marcel, let's just say now it's kind of created it as a topping, a talking point. And and I think there's a, a really good side of that, that we're more aware of spiritual abuse. We're more aware of the conversation that we're having right now. There's also kind of a bad side to that where it's created again, another layer of making it hard for people to lead or a skepticism toward leadership um, and, you know, I have this little, I think I talked to you about the duck and the goose. Um, and we need to have you on a duck and the goose pastor's call. It's these guys that I live with at seminary and we, um, have this kind of network of pastors, but a lot of those guys have reached out to me and, and other guys that I know in the city. I mean, these are good guys, good pastors. And they're just saying, man, it, I am exhausted. It's so hard to lead. And, and you had this kind of confluence of COVID, the rise and fall of Mars Hill, kind of all this coming together where everybody was more skeptical of decisive leadership on one side. And then there was like really hard decisions uh, where, you know, if you said uh, we're not going to wear masks this week, you were all of a sudden like a crazy Trump lover. Or if, you know, we are going to wear masks, you're this crazy hardcore progressive or whatever it was. Um, It created this very awkward time for leaders. So I'd like to kind of talk about that, like how (laughs) – how do you lead in this post rise and fall of Mars Hill era that now the light has been shined on the bully pulpit. The light has been shined on spiritual abuse. I do think one of the unfortunate uh, byproducts of that is it's, it's kind of made it a little bit harder for some of the good guys. So I'm curious your bit of wisdom. And again, it's not those books that made it harder. It's the, it's the, it's the abuse that has made it harder. We we are, it's an important distinction. Yeah. We are, we are, um, feeling the consequences for, you know, our corporate sin as pastors. Yeah. Uh, and we've, we've also received some of the benefits of that too. I know I'm going on, but like, I think we need to recognize both. Like, you know, in some degrees, this people saying, well, let him do whatever he wants. Like that maybe wasn't a good thing, but again, there was a benefit to that in terms of maybe you felt a little more freedom. Our churches were, I mean, I know a lot of guys, we have a very strong congregationalism here and strong elder board, but I know a lot of guys in these churches where it's, it is basically pastor's CEO model and the board, you know, that exists, you know, just kind of rubber stamp. So the guys that were benefiting from that, that are now maybe having a little more, Hey, what's going on under the hood here are feeling it. Some of those guys are good guys. They may, so some of it may just be, they need to recognize the the bad environment that they've been in part of, even if they weren't abusing that per se. Um, but I think some guys it's, it's made it a little more difficult. So I'd love to, there's a lot of nuances to that and I'm, I'm sorry to keep yeah. rambling, but yeah, w- w- I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on all that. Well, Alice well, should well, say, Jason, say, 
I was just going to say that, you know, Mike is aware of this in the book. And he says, I suppose other books could and should be written about how churches unjustly critique, attack, or malign their own pastors. So, I mean, one of the things that Jason wanted and I wanted to do is give you an opportunity to get started on that second book, which would also be a great benefit (laughs) to the church, right? Yeah. Uh, Look, you know, I... In terms of how this works, yeah. Well, first of all, let me just say that I'm very sympathetic to all that because I'm a pastor. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, this is what I try to make clear in my introduction and, and certainly hopefully gives the book a hearing is that not only am I a pastor, but I train pastors. I love pastors and I do know how hard it is to be a pastor mm-hmm. And this situation is, is really, really difficult. So part of what I want anybody to hear from me is, is my understanding and sympathy about that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think the other thing you, you mentioned, which is exactly right, is the reason it's harder for people who are good pastors to be pastors now is because of the bad behavior of some of these people we're discussing. And the problem isn't the people pointing out the problem. The problem is the problem. Yeah. And this is always right. a really important thing that needs to be said because there's some people out there that seem to be just irritated that someone's pointing out the problem. And you guys obviously are, are, are differentiating yourselves from that. And I appreciate that because I hear that from sometimes people say, well, you stop pointing out the problems. You're just, right. you know, you're, 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 you're a church basher, you know, uh, you're going to ruin it for the rest of us. And I'm like, well, no, the people who ruined it or make it harder is probably a better way to say it. The people who are actually behaving this way, simply pointing it out, asking us to change is certainly not itself the problem. Now, of course, people can become perpetual critics, right? With nothing else to say, but negative things. And we all need to guard against that. But, um, simply pointing out the issue doesn't, doesn't, doesn't itself should not be deemed as the problem. Now, as far as advice on what to do in the midst of this very complex environment, man, I mean, I, I have a very low bar here. And what I mean by that is I hope someone reads the book who's a Christian leader and says, all right, I got to watch my, I got to watch my heart. I got to watch whether I get defensive. I got to surround me with people who are going to hold me accountable. And I'm going to think long and hard about the way I conceive of my authority. And I'm like, if, if, if every individual leader just, just paused, took a breath and, and committed that to prayer and said, Lord, you know, help me be a, a more gentle leader like Jesus. And if I have blind spots, may I see them and may I not, you know, you know, squash everybody who happens to disagree with me. I think <laughs> I would be feeling like we really got somewhere. Right. So yeah. I don't need, I don't think we need to try to fix everything. Yeah. I think, cause that's impossible. I think what my, my encouragement to the listener is start with yourself, yeah. start with your church um, and ask the Lord to help you be a better leader than maybe you were before you read the book. Yeah. I think- that's a good word. I think in terms of um, the people in the congregation who are now very sensitive to this issue, and they should be, um, in terms of helping them think through some of these dynamics, uh, it might be helpful if you talk to us a little bit, Mike, about the distinction between authority and being authoritarian and why having a leader who has authority can actually be a spiritual benefit for people in the church. But once that leader slides over into being authoritarian, then it becomes spiritual abuse. So that people understand where that line is and the benefit. No, yeah. This is a great question. And this is why I labored so hard in the book. And I realize there's even more work to be done. And I hope others continue the work to try to really define spiritual abuse. Mm So that you don't think that just everything that happens is abuse. Yeah. And 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 look, the word gets thrown around way too loosely. Um, there was a, a series of, of tweets not long ago that I'm sure we could all remember where someone accused a pastor of being spiritually abusive merely because that pastor basically quoted the Bible, you know, upheld the truth of the Bible. And so, you know, we I try to say in the book that speaking biblical truth is not abusive, upholding biblical standards for ethics is not abusive, church discipline is not abusive. 
um, you know, making decisions that are hard and that people disagree with you is not abusive. Even just having conflict from time to time is not uh, in itself necessarily abusive. And so I try to map out all these things that, that so people aren't just saying, oh, I disagree with my pastor. Therefore, he's abusive. Mm-hmm. I feel bad because of what he said. Therefore, it's abuse. Well, no, being feeling bad isn't in and of itself evidence for abuse. So, yes, we need to work really hard to make sure we're very careful about what it is and what it isn't so that it's not lobbed around. So my word to the listeners who might be in churches and not necessarily leaders is, you know, I hope I hope my book can help you spot it when it's there, but be very careful and and make sure you follow the right channels and take the right steps and and also look at yourself, too, and whether you may be seeing things that aren't there. So. Right. And, and, and that's another layer to this complex conversation. So. You know, you have a, you have spiritual abuse happening. You have a light being shined on it. You have bad systems that maybe go back to the Bill Hybels days of the 80s and 90s that I think were creating some of these things. And some of them were just bad cultures and churches anyway. And then, of course, you have COVID, all the decisions there. And then another thing that pastors have dealt with is, you know, a – Gen Z millennial staff that maybe has a different work ethic and you pitch into that, this kind of COVID work from home thing. And so now it's like, you know, coming, asking your staff to come in. I mean, I had, I talked to a guy not long ago and, and the guy said, you know, will you come back to work? And the guy was like, you are an abusive leader. And he was like throwing around, there was a, there was a racial difference there. And so he's thrown on race. And so it's just like, I mean, pastors yeah. are just like, ah. And so I think that the delineation that you're making there of, okay, we, you, there is a problem. And actually you, um, you, you dishonor people that are true victims of spiritual abuse by throwing the word around, you know, too much. Oh yeah. Um, and totally. so, and again, I think everybody wants to, uh, the word I've been using re- recently is exploit their victimhood. Um, and so I think everybody's like kind of running to the victim line, whoever can get there the quickest. Uh, and so, yeah, it's just created this very disorienting. Yeah, let me, let me add one layer time. to that too. I mean, I agree hundred percent. We live in a victimhood culture. You know, people are, are, are quick to do that. One, one thing I've learned though, in my research on the flip side is that there's a number of, of, I think probably genuinely abusive leaders who, their big defense is that, well, everybody's a victim and and yeah. I live in a culture where they're all just they're just overly sensitive snowflake Gen Z types. You know, they're progressive, you know, people who don't who can't take criticism or something like this. And could that be true? Yes. But it's also the case that lots of times when you have a harsh leader, he actually uses that as an excuse. Mm-hmm. Kind of like, you know, your grandpa who grew up in the in the uh, you know, in the in the Great Depression is like thinks everybody's a sissy because <laughs> of this and that. And he's, you know, he thinks all of you are, are lightweights. You can't take it, you know, that sort of mentality. And so I can be, I can be an abrasive leader because everyone's a softy. Well, right. Y- y- that happens too. And it happened a lot. I heard a lot, I heard a lot of people whose, whose concerns that they raised were dismissed under the heading of they're just progressive. Hmm. Right. Here's, here's right. what's missing there for a lot of these churches is people don't realize a lot of the abuse cases I studied at least were in very conservative churches mm-hmm. where the members were on board. Mm-hmm. The members were not some liberal like sneak in person. They were, they were, they, they were all in on that theology and yet they got, they got hammered. And so the idea that they're just closet progressives, yeah, we also yeah. just want to acknowledge that that's, that's sometimes, uh, you well, know, just simply not the And case. it's another tactic by abusive leaders to create exactly. fear. Oh, we've got some progressive that have snuck in yep. the camp. And now this is all why you need a real third party, legitimate, independent investigation of people know what they're doing. 
And this is right. what I said at the end of the book. Because of the complexes we just laid out, how do you adjudicate this? Well, the truth is most organizations aren't very good at investigating themselves and having help to do it by a third party, I, I recommend as a wise piece of advice. So people who know about abuse and can get in there and, and study it can, can, can give you some perspective. So, And would you recommend that even if, you know, like I, I would say, I mean, if anybody ever asks a question about Christ coming about anything, I'm like, hey, let, you know, open the door. So I would even th that advice to a pastor, if somebody's saying, hey, you're a toxic leader and you think it's wrong, like get an investigation, like go ahead and, you know, uh, and maybe you're one of the good guys, but go ahead and again, be vindicated by a third party that can come in and say, there's no abuse going on here. Yeah. Um, and I, I, the way I say it is if there's a credible accusation that it should be investigated by a third party, yeah. just because someone lobs some criticism over the fence, like you're an abuser, doesn't mean you got to like, you know, roll out sure. the yeah. you know, organization right. to come in and spend nine months doing investigations because they said something. It needs to be a credible, meaningful, reasonable accusation that then has to be followed up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you had a question about just some biblical examples I thought was really yeah. helpful. Well, I, you know, you talk in Bully Pulpit a good bit about the fact that there is biblical guidance for how to lead well. Uh, I also wondered, though, if there are examples in the Bible of people not following well, uh, of, you know, some of this tension oh, that yeah. we're talking about. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And whether those examples, and, you know, I'm thinking, for example, the Corinthian church, which seems to just go after Paul and, they you know, they mock oh, him for cool. the way that he speaks and potentially for a disability that he had. Um, or the, you know, the Israelites in the wilderness is they, the way that they respond to Moses's leadership. So, is, are there things that we can learn there about the other side of this issue that we're kind of discussing now? Of, oh yeah, you know, and if someone were, if someone were ever to write that other book we discussed, you know, how to how to do a better job caring for your pastor and not not uh, you know killing your pastors, then 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 there's plenty of these examples of people who in 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 the in the Bible who do prove to be really bad followers. Yeah, I mean certainly the Corinthian church is like top of the list, right? <laughs> but I mean, what other example comes to mind is of course the Israelites in the desert with Moses. I mean. Talk about grumbling and complaining and making leadership hard. Can you imagine being Moses? Yeah. No wonder he struck the rock <laughs> rather than talk yes. to us. I mean, I My probably struck guy. it like long it's before like he, he lost did. his self-control. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously. I mean, these people were impossible. And God judged those people for, for their grumbling and their complaining, right? Um, but notice this. He also held Moses to a higher standard mm, than, than mm -hmm. we would have. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's really it's kind of this tragic story. Like, Moses was so faithful. And he struck the rock and he doesn't get to see the promised land. And, 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 and this is one of the things I, I want to point out about this. When someone says, well, you know, churches can abuse leaders just like leaders can be churches. Yes, but we're also held to a different standard. Yeah, that's good. And, and we need to realize, yeah, that's unfair. But welcome to leadership. <laughs> Not many of you should presume to be teachers. Right. Um, and there is a different standard for God's leaders. And uh, we, need to, we just need to, to own that. One thing you said uh, earlier, and then you brought up something else that made me think about it is and i think this is a good word to to leaders like be be wary of your own defensiveness like i i i see leaders that will critique 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 they're not doing this they're not doing this they're not doing this they'll they'll be so kind of almost angry with what's going on around them people not working hard enough people not doing what they expect but as soon as they're critiqued i mean as soon as anyone brings a critique back to them it's you you were talking about this earlier with just like well they're just a gen z they're just a snowflake or whatever it is um and i, I think that that is a good like sign of there might mm -hmm. be some spiritual abuse going on here if you, if you are around a leader that 
it is impossible to offer critique, loving critique. Again, I'm not talking about hateful critique. I'm talking about, hey, do you see this? Um, there, there should be some red flags that go up in your environment. What are, what are some of the other like, man, this is a red flag. This is, there is something behind the curtain here that's not good. No, well, let me start with the one you mentioned, which is absolutely the case that one, one of the things that makes abusive leaders, typically abusive leaders is there's, there's two things in play. One is they're highly critical of others. And what, what I, I say this in the book is they lead through fault finding. Okay. Right. They lead through fault finding and then they won't receive critique from anybody. And so this is the classic narcissist model, right? You, you critique others so you feel better about yourself and then you won't receive critique so you feel better about yourself. Um, and it's, it's, there's no way out of that little bubble, right? So, so the defensiveness is one of the things I list as a, as a, a, a hyper defensiveness is one of the things I list as a sign of spiritual abuse. A couple other red flags that I think you could say, there's probably something I need to investigate here. One is a deep, deep fear of a pastor um, in churches where there's widespread, and I'm talking about like real fear of someone in leadership can be something that needs to be explored. It could be maybe just unhealthy. It could be an abusive situation going on because one of the track records you see across these things is that people who deal with abusive leaders are genuinely like f afraid of this person. Not, yeah. not that they're going to drive to their house and shoot them with a gun afraid, but like still very afraid. Then the other real telltale side of abusive leader is the, is the debris field of broken relationships in their wake. Mm -hmm. Over time, does this leader have a, a, a track record of dead bodies uh, behind them? And that's almost the absolute sign of an abusive leader is not just that there's ever conflict, not that there was ever a problem because everybody's got that, but, but literally a, a debris field of, of, uh, of, of broken lives in their wake can be a real big concern. You know, we've been talking about uh, the other side of this issue as well. And I wonder that question about red flags might be a helpful one. So that's looking at the leader and the way that the leader behaves. And I think there's probably a sense in which people who are in the congregation, they can do all of the second guessing and asking themselves, well, you know, is this really abusive leadership or not? Am I maybe one of those people who is just overly sensitive or something like that? So what are some criteria that people could use to, people that I'm talking about in the congregation could use to determine whether their concerns are genuine or if they have become one of these people who's become oversensitive about these issues so that they don't have to be afraid. I mean, if it fits these criteria, then they have all the, all the rights to bring this issue up. Yeah, that's really hard. I mean, you know, sometimes when you're uh a congregant or maybe a staff member and you're feeling kind of beat down all the time by a certain leader, it's hard to know what to do. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, a lot of these people just quit and mm -hmm. leave. Um, and a lot of them don't have the guts to speak up because if it is an abusive leader, they're scared to death of the guy. Right. And then the guy's probably going to retaliate by just dragging you through the mud. Mm -hmm. So a lot of people just do the math right? and they decide I'm not, it's not worth it. I'm just going to leave and, and just not address it. I, I, in one of my interviews for my book, uh, there was a, a case happening live, meaning it was still going on when I was interviewing the guy and he was asking my advice. What do you think I should do? You think I should speak up or just leave? Hmm. And I said, well, it's hard to know. I just need to need to tell you that if you do speak up, here's what you can expect. Yeah. And it was a, really a sobering conversation w for that guy. Yeah. And, and, and it turns out later he did speak up and basically everything I said, what hmm. happened, happened. And, uh, and he ended up getting fired. Hmm. Uh, now, there's where you have to decide how bad is the abusive situation where I feel morally obligated to bring it to the people's attention, even if I get cream for it, because I'm trying to protect others. And this is where I think you have to realize that 
is it possible that all these people are just false accusers all the time? Yeah, that's certainly possible. But you have to realize these guys are paying a big price to come forward and bring this up. It takes a lot of courage. Uh, and so we just want to give them a fair listen and a fair investigation. And if we investigate and it turns out there's nothing there, well, there's nothing there. But I, I, my encouragement to the churches is don't, don't, don't assume someone's lying and destroy their lives before you find out whether they're right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and, and, you know, obviously, like in a lot of these cases, it's the damage of, you know, you, you lose your job. So there's your livelihood. You lose your community. So there's all your friends. And then also, I mean, these spiritual abuse guys, like they're, the Lord is to some degree using them. So there's this weird interplay of going against the church. I mean, going against, you know, I always think about the courage of Martin Luther to kick off the Reformation. I mean, you know, it's, it's one thing for us to like go out in a secular world and preach the gospel and it reject us, but, but the world at least labels itself as not of the Lord to go against the thing that is supposed to be defending the Lord and say, you're not the Lord and have that reject you. That, that's a, that, that requires an enormous amount of courage. And that's kind of what we're, you know, these whistleblowers, if you want to use that word, I mean, these people that are speaking out against these abusive leaders, oh, yeah. that, that's kind of the level, it's like Luther-like courage mm-hmm. that we're almost asking them to have, and that's an enormous amount of courage. It, it is, the, the chapter six in my book where I talk about the effects on people's lives when this happens was really hard to write mm-hmm. because I knew these stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so it wasn't just in the abstract. I mean, these people, you know, in tears and you could, trembling and just their lives are shattered and you're like, it's really heartbreaking. And one of the things that people don't realize about spiritual abuse is the, the, the biggest damage isn't actually done by the actual spiritual abuse. It's done by the way the church handles the spiritual mm. abuse when a person comes forward. Almost all the trauma is the fact that they weren't believed. They, 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 they're kicked out of their church. They're fired from their jobs. They're labeled a slanderer. And that's where the extra damage is. Yeah. Which, and, and so, yeah, the spiritual abuse they got from whatever leader was, was, was hard. But th- it's all of that that really is the pain. And so this is why people don't even speak up. They're like, I'll take the first lick of spiritual abuse, thank you very much, and move on. So I don't have to deal with the church's reaction to me. <coughs> yeah. um, now, what, this is where I come up with this reality. Where What does that mean that we've gotten to a point where people feel like it's best just to leave and not say anything because they feel like the way they're going to be handled once they come forward is actually worse sometimes in the abuse itself? I think we got to do some real soul searching there yeah, as a church good. to wonder why, how do we get there? Yeah. Well, this is an important conversation, an important book. Um, and again, I, I so appreciate your heart as a pastor to uh, to call leaders to, I mean, leaders that are representing Christ to actually represent Christ. And, um, you know, and I appreciate even some of the nuance of that. It is a difficult time. And obviously we don't, nobody wants to make anybody's job harder. The goal is that ultimately it would be easier because we're actually doing what we're supposed to do. And that is reflect our Lord Jesus. Um, it's an important conversation. Will, Will, do you have another thought? Well, I thought it might be helpful. Mike has spent all of this time thinking about the negative way that leadership is often expressed and received. Um, but I imagine kind of like a contrast that has enabled you to think long and hard about how leadership should be done. And maybe to end on a positive note, you might talk a little bit about yeah. that. You know, what... What have you learned about how leaders should lead in the church and people in the church, congregants should follow? And what would be your now your, you know, you've spent all this time 
um, in the darkness? What is the light that you can now see? <laughs> that's a good. Yeah, that's good. You know, when I wrote this book, I thought, well, about that very thing. I was like, mm. maybe I should just write a book on what a good leader looks like and help people <laughs> read between the lines. Right. Well, if this is what a good leader looks like, then you can read between the lines what a bad leader looks like. But sometimes yeah. you just got to call out right. the bad leaders and uh, uncomfortable as that is. So I say in the preface, man, I didn't want to write this book. I feel yeah. like, you know, they called Gandalf Storm Crow, always got bad news, you know, and uh, and I felt like, OK, so that's going to be be me. And so no one likes to talk about bad leaders. Let's talk about good leaders. So I, I appreciate the chance to end on a good note. A few quick thoughts on what a good leader looks like. And this is by no means exhaustive, but I, the things I've learned. One thing I've learned is how often the Bible talks about leading by example yeah. as a good leader. It doesn't mean you never do hard things. It doesn't mean there's, that's the only thing you do, okay, to be clear. But First Peter 5 contrasts leading by domineering by leading by example. Yeah. And I, I have this image in my head of, of a shepherd Okay. Leading by example means you walk ahead of your sheep and they follow you. Le abusive leaders stand behind their sheep and kick them and whip them and push them. <laughs> yeah. And I, I think this is a good image for what a good leader looks like is mm. there, there's a time to correct. Don't misunderstand. There's church disciplines real. There's a time to, to confront. Okay. But generally speaking, we, we need to spend more time in front of our sheep, leading them by example, than behind them with the whip. And if we mm. do that, here's what we'll realize. If you're leading by example, then your character matters an awful lot because yeah. they're looking to you as an example. And so this is why character and leaders are so important. It's because it's not like you're standing behind the sheep going, your character, your character. Rather, you're saying, I got to care about my character because I'm leading by example. Mm. So that's just one little piece of some of the stuff I've learned. And I, and I think that's helped me to be a better leader, right? I don't always have to lead by coercion and by force. Sometimes you go mm. out and set an example. Um, and that really makes you think about how you're growing and how your how your character is, and I think that's an important correction. That's such a good word. Yeah, and I think in in that way, um, the people that are following you, if you will, are following you because they want to and they desire it, and they see something of the Lord right. in you. And and how much more inviting is that? How much how much more peace filling is that? Um, you know, obviously, some of these domineering leaders, as we know, they're they're terrified. They're full of fear. They you know, they've used fear, but they themselves are sorely afraid. And so, um, and such an important word. Thank you, Mike, uh, for joining us and, uh, for Will, just for some of the great questions. I think this is a very important conversation. It's one that you can't have in a 40 minute podcast, one that really needs to be had over and over and over again. It's a great conversation to have with church leaders and staff. And, uh, and I'm glad you're just kind of opening the door to have this conversation and, in a biblical and, and hopefully God-honoring way. So for Will Kynes and Mike Kruger, I'm Jason Dees, encouraging you to think through it. Thanks for listening to Think Through It. For more information, visit ChristCovenant.com.